very exciting regarding the year that faces us, mainly because as you look over the past two years, we could almost say it was somewhat tumultuous in certain ways. So we closed out last week, we closed out the year last week by remembering, not by looking back, but by remembering 2018 and previous years and examining and reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God irrespective of the context, irrespective of the situation, we saw God move. Even sometimes despite our faithlessness, the faithfulness of God was manifest in so many different ways. The way he blessed us, the way he encouraged us, the way he stirred us, the way that he would remind us that he was there continually. And that was the comfort that we drew as we closed out last year. But the whole idea of remembering what took place in the past was for the purpose for us to move on. You see, I look on the past couple of years, and I, I do see, and I will be honest, I have dropped the ball. I have dropped the ball in a number of ways, whether it's as, as a pastor, as a, as a friend, even in some ways as a Christian, as, a, as part of this community. And I look back and I see that. But irrespective of the dropping of the ball, I still see God and His faithfulness, because what's great is that God is always the same. He is always faithful. He is always caring. He is always involved. And he is continually calling us and drawing us and drawing me back to himself. And so as we begin this new year, what I am encouraged with and what I am excited about is the fact that God does not want us to remain where we are, but to move us on, to take us further, to press on to the goal that he has set for us. And that's is what I take my comfort in. He, he is going to stir us as, as a church, to stir us as a people and prayerfully move on to what the next step will be. So with this new prayer, with this new year, my prayer is that this morning sermon will be a, a blessing that will help you think, uh, will help you assess, will help enable you, sorry, enable us in how we move on and how we move forward. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that your faithfulness is so great that (laughs) there is never a shadow of turning. There's no variableness in you. And for that, we give you thanks. We thank you for the reminder that you are our God, you are our Savior, and that you have purchased us by the shedding of your own blood on the cross. Thank you for bringing us out of darkness and into your light. Thank you for making us new creations in Christ. Thank you that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have done so much and will continue to do so much for us as your children because of Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we look into your word, as we start this new year, I pray that we will be sensitive to you and to your movements within our lives as individuals and within our life as a church. I pray that you will help us to not only be sensitive, but to respond to the promptings you've placed within our hearts. And I pray that we will obey, not out of obligation, but because we love you. 
And we love you because you first loved us. So we commit this time to you. Please minister to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Turn to the book of Joshua, please. We're going to look at Joshua. And I'm going to take maybe four points from Joshua, from the book of Joshua, and from the context they found themselves in. Because remember last week we touched on Deuteronomy, which was the second giving of the law, and the implementing of that second giving of the law because of the change that was about to take place for Israel. They were told to remember. Remember what I did for you. Remember how your sandals never wore out? You had like super endurable footwear. Remember how you had the ultimate in clothing and your clothes never wore out? Remember when I gave you food continually from the heavens, whether it be manna, whether it be quail? You remember how I provided water from a rock? And all of this was in preparation for what is going to take place now. You see, there is a new thing that is going to happen. They have spent 40 years walking around in circles, 40 years of being wanderers and survivors. See, they had this calling placed on their lives over here to enter and claim a promised land, but because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief, they spent 40 years of what I like to call going through the motions, showing up to church on Sunday, going to your weekly Bible study, stopping in on the mentally prayer meeting, praying every so often at the prayer time. They were going through the motions and the relationship that God desired had had fallen by the wayside. But even though, even though they were going through the motions, what was God doing? God was continually there drawing them to himself. Now, you might have looked at the past years. You might have, remember what I talked about looking back? But you might have looked back over the past few years, maybe even looked back even further and thought, man, remember back in the day. Remember this, remember the good old days? Remember that, the good old days? So that's that's what they may have done. Now, we might have been doing this, but here's what's really exciting. God says to Joshua, it's time. It's a new year. Things are about to change. You're going to go from being wanderers and survivors to fighters and claimers. That's what you're going to become. You're going to possess that which I've wanted for you all along. And so he approaches us, and this, I shared this. I actually shared this on the devotion earlier this week, and that's why I was encouraged to share it again. But if you look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, this is what we begin with. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, the first half says this. Moses, my, oh, oh, sorry, I should really reiterate something. Um, there's going to be no Bible verses up there, just references. So I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open your Bibles. If you need some Bibles, there's someone down on the table there. Um, I want us to get used to spending time in the Word or flipping pages or whatever, okay? If you need anything, please let us know. Um, so in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, the first half says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready. Stop there. Get ready. Getting ready is about preparedness. Getting ready is about game time. Getting ready is about, well, something's going to go down. Now, the thing is this. When you say the words get ready, all that actually happens is you get on edge. That's all it is. Um, Are those cups cups empty, bro? Cool. Uh, Okay, I'll I'll use the other. Yeah, I'll get the one underneath. Can I borrow this, please? The orange? Thank you. Thank you. I'm hungry. 
All right, thank you. All right, all right. Okay, so if I said, Craig, come stand up here, please. Thanks. Little Jono, please. Thank you. You're right there. Little Jono. All right. I'll go with my man, Jacob. Come on up, bro. Don't worry. I'm not going to get you to do something bad, okay? Now, here's the thing. As soon as you sit there and you say, get ready, the first thing, the first thing you do is you get on edge. But you don't know what you're getting ready for, do you? So, if I did something like this, and I gave... There you go. There you go. There you go. Right. Once again, much like I said, once you actually provide a context in connection to that preparedness, get ready. So when I look at Jacob, he's holding the cup. That could be get ready. What for? To get me a drink. Get ready. What for? Maybe to get himself a drink. Maybe to go sit outside and ask for money. But as soon as, as soon as he has something in his hands, he knows what he's getting ready for, doesn't he? What about Jono? Jono's been given an orange. Get ready, Jono. What for? He has an orange, so he could peel it for me and then feed it to me while I sit down. I really like the sound of that. But maybe that's what it is. Get ready. What else? You have Craig here. Get ready. Get ready because you're doing the sermon this morning. (laughs) Yeah, brother. Get ready because <laughs> get ready you're singing a song. Get ready because you make an announcement. All I'm saying, get ready is this. We have this whole idea of getting ready, but the getting ready, all that does is say, okay, okay, I'm, 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 I'm set. I'm set to do something. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Can I have my cup? Well, actually, you can give back their food and their cup and the mic. Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen. So... The charge to him and the nation is to get ready. But getting ready is only part of the the actual interaction that God has with the people of Israel. Because what does he say in the second part of the verse? He says get ready, but it's to get ready for something. And this is what it is in the second half. He says, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them. Now, here's what's really exciting about this call. Is that in this call, he is told, yes, get ready, but get ready, one, for a specific purpose. Get ready for, two, a specific direction. Get ready for, three, the fact of what God is going to do on their behalf and how God is going to provide for them. You see, if you have no direction, what happens? You end up walking around and around for 40 years. If you have no purpose, what happens? You become content and complacent in the context that you're in right then and there. If you have have no understanding of what God wants to do, then you'll continually fall short not knowing what God wants to do in your life. That's why he says get ready. Why? Because you are going to cross the Jordan into the land that I am going to give you. Now, the reason I start with this is because we as Christians, more often than not, don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We don't. And because we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, we flounder around and we look for some type of purpose, some type of excitement, some type of thing to stir our hearts. 
And this is what I like about this particular verse. See, we, not only as a church, but as individuals, need to understand what is the direction that God wants to take me. What is the direction that God wants to take us as a church, especially as we look into the new year? Um, the next slide, I actually, I actually got this. In verse 2, get ready. Two words that reveal the mutual nature of one's relationship with God. I really liked the songs that were chosen this morning by the worship team, the music team. They did a really great job because there is, there is this mutual interaction. See, the Christian life is not about me sitting down here and thinking, God, do your thing. God, yeah, you, you do everything. Now, please don't get me wrong. In salvation, in salvation, it is all of God. We trust by faith in what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's it. There is nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. I cannot buy it. I cannot earn it through my good deeds or whatever it might be. I do not earn it by attending church. It is done so by relying on the gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, which we celebrated two weeks ago, who lived a perfect life, who died a brutal death, who rose again the third day to give us access to himself and the forgiveness of sin and make us new creations by faith in Jesus Christ. That was all of him had nothing to do with us, but the book of Joshua represents the sanctification of the saint. How we live now, salvation is always and forever the work of God. He saved Israel to the uttermost from Egypt's bondage. He saved us from sin's bondage through the blood of Jesus. Now as people liberated from bondage, this charge lays before us to get ready in this new year. We may need to change some things in order to receive or experience the fullness of of God's promises. Now, you know your situation in life. You know how busy you are or how busy you're not. You know how busy you make yourself be. You know the hardships that you go through, whether as grandparents looking after your grandchildren, parents looking after your kids, singles trying to minister to, to your family members, students and, and workers and, and all that sort of stuff. But there may need to be steps taken in our life to help us prepare for what God wants to do because this is what God is telling Joshua now. He is saying to him, get ready because this is where you're going and this is what I'm going to give you. That's that mutual interaction. For you to receive what God desires to give you, then, then maybe, maybe you need to step out in obedience and align your heart and your life and your desire with God's. Maybe. But that's, see, that's just, that's just the introduction. See, there is no misunderstanding or reading into it. It's, clear, laid out for, it's clearly laid out for Joshua that he is now in the know. He knows what needs to be done. Now, if you'll notice, the instruction Joshua is given doesn't deal with specifics. It doesn't deal with specifics. He's just told, get ready. This is where you're going, and this is what you're doing. Now, this brings to me, to you, to us, the first point. Know God's call. Know God's call. You know this in your own life, and I've used this illustration numerous times. If you have a job, you know what you're supposed to do in your job, correct? You get given a job description, you know what's expected of you in that job, and you know how you're supposed to conduct yourself in that job. 
And so why? So you can effectively fulfill the job for which you're paid for. And so in verse 11 of Joshua chapter 1, we read this. Go through the camp and tell the people. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Now remember, he has not told specifics. He has told direction that he is going to go to, and he has told how that is being provided. But what Joshua does from here and everything else after this is basically with the whole intent of fulfilling this primary calling within his life. And you see this evident. But you see this all throughout. He can't, he can't like I said, he can't, he can't mistake it. The specifics are details and methods that can be utilized but will fall under the overarching umbrella of God's promise. I will give and their obedience go in and take possession. And you see this mutual interaction between God and his people all throughout chapter 1. For example, like we just read in, Matthew, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. See the mutual interaction there? I'm going to give you, but you need to step so it can be given. You look again in verses 5 and 6. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Once again, you have the mutual interaction. Be strong and courageous and lead these people to inherit or to possess. And then I will give you. You look at verse 8, keep the book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. See the mutual interaction. You keep the book of the law, then you will. It's the claiming of God's promises. There is the mutual interaction. You see, the specifics of how the call is fulfilled is one, based and grounded in God's faithfulness to His Word and His promises, and two, our obedience to His Word and His promises. And it's in these two things that our confidence grows in Him and that our relationship with Him strengthens. There's a mutual interaction between the two. Now, do I understand that? No, not completely. But the sovereignty of God always reigns supreme. Now, look, I'm just going to, because I'm going to race through this first part, because I'll get to it a little bit later when it comes to the practical application. But this is the first thing. You must know God's call, because that is what Joshua knew. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew where he was going and what was required of him. And everything he did from here was to see that fulfilled. That's the first point. Know God's call. Everyone say it. One, two, three, go. Yeah, no enthusiasm, but that's okay. Two, trust God's work. Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I'm going to read this to you. I shared this as well throughout the week. We have heard how the Lord dried up. This is Rahab speaking. So to provide a bit of context, two spies are sent into Jericho. And whilst in Jericho, they hole up at a prostitute's house called Rahab. Now Rahab shares this with them. We have heard, we have heard. 
how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. See the testimony of God that had gone forth through the people of Israel. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is one of the comforting truths that sometimes we find very difficult to understand. But, not so much understand, but to see. You see, the two spies didn't know that their testimony had gone forth and caused such an effect. The two spies didn't know that the men's hearts, the, the valiant men, the soldiers, they were melting for fear because of their God and what their God did through them. They didn't know that. They, you know what that shows me? You know what that tells me? That God is always at work, even when you do not see it. Even when you don't realize it, God is working in the lives of those people around you. That the testimony you have is the exact same picture that Israel had to this nation. Now, this is going back a while. Remember, now look, they've been walking around for 40 years. This, the, 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 the leaving of Egypt didn't happen yesterday. We're looking at decades, decades ago, this had taken place. Now, decades later, Jericho is going, oh boy, they're here. Oh no. We're in trouble. What do we do? And not once did any of these Israelites know that. This is what God does. You, you don't realize, and I shared this over and over again, and Pastor Ben has shared it, and Jono shared it, and Jimmy, and, and everybody that's been up the front has shared this, the effect that God has through your friend, or to your friends, through you. And that when they look, they see God working in ways that you don't know, that you don't understand. Which means this, that like Joshua, we have to trust that God is at work, even though we may not understand. Um, you read this, you know, like in verse 11, I think it was, we heard of it and our hearts melted. Now, they didn't know this was the case. They didn't know that maybe the people of Jericho were reconsidering their life choices. But people don't see what God does. People can't do what God does. All we see is the joy of the end product. What I mean by that is if you look at verses 23 and 24, after the gentlemen leave and head back to their camp, this is what they say. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. It's like the story of Jonathan and his servant that went forward in the battle. And they were listening. And they heard, ooh, this is what's going down. And they stepped forth on the promises of God and destroyed a whole army. You have here these guys who went back in the confidence of what God was doing and the lives of Jericho, of what God was doing in the lives of Israel. I mean, think about it. I remember in, in, in like primary school and, and high school and stuff, uh, hands up those who, who've heard, like there's somebody you liked, there's somebody you liked, 
And one of your mates comes over and says, hey, man, she likes you. She likes you. And you're like, oh, nah, man, nah. Nah, bro. Nah, bro, she likes you, eh? And you're like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, this is what she said. And like, see, I, okay, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm, as a youngster, eh, I was terrible around females. Actually, as an adult, I'm still not any good talking to females. But it was really interesting that when I remember, th- what was her name? <laughs> Gina, this girl named Gina. Don't worry, it was, not, it was no Pearl, okay, remember? <laughs> Pearl Bucket was one of my girlfriends, and, but anyway, that's different. That was, it. that was a real name, Pearl Bucket. Anyway, sorry. If she ever listened to this, I'm really sorry, Pearl. Okay, so, but I remember Gina, but I remember Gina, and I did like Gina, and I remember when Gina came, came around, and a guy named Ian says, yeah, Gina likes you, bro. Gina likes you. But I, I was maybe 12, 13. One of, one of those, yeah, one of those pitiful, yeah, anyway. Anyway, but I remember the confidence that I, when I knew that she liked me, the confidence I had, like, you, know, you, you sort of strut over, and you feel confident knowing because you, you've got some inside knowledge. You've got some inside. I know. I know what you're thinking about. I know what you think about me. I think, I think the relationship lasted three days. Yeah. But you see, this, that's what, there's a confidence that's instilled. Look at the spiritual confidence that's instilled amongst the people of Israel now. They are given inside knowledge of what God is doing. This God who, who has gone before them when decades ago he delivered them. And he's still working even now. So this is the, the comfort we must draw from this truth to trust that God is at work. He has to be. Which goes to my third point there, our third point, to follow God's way. If God is continually at work, and, 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 and we, like, we know God's call and what it is He's placed on our lives. We, we trust God's work, or that God is at work, and with that call we continue, knowing that He's alongside us and He's working behind the scenes even when we don't think anything's going on. We have to follow God's way. It, it has to. If you look at Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 to 5, we read this. That's, yeah, Joshua chapter 6, verses 2, five, two to 5. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns at the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. What a ridiculous battle plan. But that's God's way, isn't it? He says, get all your soldiers to just walk. Get your musos to blow trumpets. Get everybody to scream. And I'll give you the city. Once again, it's the aligning of yourself with God's instruction and the aligning of yourself with God's way and obedience to that way and that instruction that God brings about the destruction of strongholds, the overcoming of enemies, the claiming of land for the kingdom of God. That's what happens. And and this, the defeat of Jericho, speaks volumes of God's grace to his people. 
See, the power of God is always there. The ability of God never wanes or weakens. And the means of God's bringing about destruction of a walled city is done so. And this is what I say it's God's grace. The way this city is done is done through people. He didn't have to use them. He didn't need to use them. But he chose to allow them to be part of his work in the claiming of that land. And so he said, you go and you do it. You think about this. See, God's ways are about fulfilling a call using people. God didn't need the musicians, but God allowed them to play a major role in the overcoming of the city. God could have caused an earthquake, how he swallowed up the sons of Korah and closed the land up over them. God could have used, uh, to do, like he destroyed a city like Sodom and Gomorrah by bringing fire from heaven. He could have done that to wipe them out. Or he could have like, used an ocean to drown an army like he did with Pharaoh's army. But he chose people once again to follow his instructions, to yield to his will, and then to witness amazing things done on their behalf. This is God's way. And look, you know these verses. Isaiah 55 talks about that in 7 and 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither my ways your ways. As the, high, as, the skies are, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. And this is evidence here of God's ways. It, it defies. But here's what's really neat. The way God reaches people in your particular sphere in your particular circle of influence with this life-changing message about Jesus Christ is done through by speaking through you and, and through you and, and that you get to take this message that has transformed your life and communicate this message to other people so that their lives might be transformed as well. He doesn't need me to do it. He allows me to be a part of it. And our human nature is that we like to be a part of things. No one likes to be left out. And so God says, you, I want to have you on board with me, Jims. And I want to use you, Jims, and the life of your children. Little Ariella and little Frownley. So I, I call him Frownley. He's such a cool kid. I like you. Yeah, I want to use you in the lives of your kids. I want to use you in the life of your neighbor. Now, here's, see, Jimmy, Jimmy's a classic case. Jimmy, Jimmy is really cool. See, Jimmy's, Jimmy's neighbor, Jimmy can reach out to. Not me. Yeah, well, yeah. Can you imagine if I showed up there, bro? Hey, man, I'm your new neighbor. I'm house-sitting. I got, I got pulled over by the police yesterday. No reason. Just got pulled over. I had a, I had a, I was a, I had a car full of Polynesians, so my brother, his kids, his missus, and my two kids, and we have a packed van, a packed van. And we're driving, and there's heaps of cars. And the police car pulls up behind us, does the siren, and I'm like, wow, wow. And then the lady comes out, and goes, come do a breath test. Yeah, sure, man. No, like, I did a breath test. I passed. 50%. No, just kidding. Okay, so, but, you know, and which was really, you know, but, you know, it, it's just, it was just really funny. So, anyway, I completely forgot what I was talking about. But the Jimmy, Jimmy is a classic kid. He gets to reach out. He gets to reach out to people. Auntie Judy, who works at the post office in Seven Hills, she gets to reach out to people that I don't get to see. Uncle Stephen in his neighborhood, I don't get to see those people either, but he can reach out to them. You know, you know what I mean? 
God uses you in your context, wherever you are, to reach out with a message that can change their lives. And God has allowed you that privilege to carry this message. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, unto the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The reason why he says that is because that message that you carry with power, you get to take to people in your area to your neighbors, to your friends, and to your family. And you get to take this message and communicate this message not only by what is said, but also what is lived. See, the reality of how real Jesus Christ is to them is seen in you. That's how it's seen. And God has let you be a part of that. And I've, I've sometimes been the last person picked for a team. And that's not nice. You don't want to be like the last one. Well, Jesus is saying, James, you're my number one. You're the one I'm picking for this team in this area. Mel, you're my number one. You're the girl that I'm picking for this team in this area. Craig, you're my number one. I was about to make an insult, but you're number one. You're my number one in this area with this message to transform people. This is what he does. This is what he does. He has allowed us. And I wish, I really wish, no, 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 wish is the wrong word. I really pray, I really pray that we can see the value of what we have in this message that is called the gospel. That we see the value of it and what it does to transform people, to restore broken lives, to mend the brokenhearted, to to restore and reinvigorate lives that have just gone through the motions, to to reinvigorate and revive even this church, that this message that we have, we can take, and God lets us be a part of it. But it starts off with what? With doing it His way. It has to. Because if it's not His way, well, then it's just me trying hard. Which which gives my, my, my fourth point, my final point here, just beware. Beware of self-reliance. And here's, here's the danger. See, we have a tendency. We ha- have a tendency of taking whatever it is. We take tools that are given to us to bless us and equip us in our growth and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But we take these tools and opposed to them being something to supplement and to assist us, they become the be-all and end-all. Case in point, Julie shared about rosters. Julie shared about rosters, and that's true. She she, she shared about rosters, and what we do is that we can fall into the routine of rosters. My name's down, I gotta do this. My name's down, I gotta do that. Now, rosters aren't bad in and of themselves. They become bad when we make them the be-all and end-all. Does that make sense? And this is like anything. We can take any routine, and we can make it a self-reliance thing. You know why we like rosters? You know why we like rules? You know why we like checklists? Because we can then physically gauge how successful we are by what we meet, by the standards and the requirements we meet. That's why we like it. So you want to, okay, my my spirituality, well, I'm so spiritual because I give money to the poor. I'm good to my wife. I'm kind to my kids. I go to church every Sunday. I go to my prayer meeting once a month, every month. Check. I go to my Bible study. Check. I give my tithe. Check. All right, I've set this list of what guarantees spirituality, and I've met everything on this list. Therefore, 
I am spiritual. That's what we like. That's why we like lists. That's why we do these sorts of things. But see, if we did this in a relationship, if I did this with my wife, I gave her flowers. Check. I said, I love you. Check. I did the dishes. Check. I, I, I did the laundry, hung it out, and brought it back in. Check, check. Yeah. Therefore, I am a magnificent man. No. No, that's, that's not how relationships work, is it? And, and yet we do this. We do this with our God. That's not how it works. And this is why this one here is beware of self-reliance. We fall into the trap of going through the motions, and then we move from this, this vital, exciting, invigorating relationship we have with Jesus Christ, and then we relegate it to a set of a checklist of this is how my relationship is successful. And this is what happens here. So they've gone through, and they've, they've seen God do amazing things. They've seen God and, 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 and Jericho destroy a city and leave one part of the wall where Rahab was. They failed at AI, and then they saw God weed out the sin. You've got a nation of millions of people, and God says, there's this one guy who screwed it up, one guy who disobeyed, and, and he divided them into the tribes. And then in the tribes, he says, this is this tribe. And the tribe, he divided into families. And he says, okay, it's this family, and it's this guy. He narrowed it all the way down to this one man. This is the guy that caused Israel to fail. So they've seen God do this and then go back and destroy Ai. They have seen victory after victory, failure. They've, they've seen reconciliation take place. They've seen restoration take place. And then what happens here in Joshua chapter 9 is that there's a group of people called the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites have heard as well, oh, wow, they're here and they're doing serious damage. And so what do they do? They dress themselves up. Pretend they've come from a distance away, got some old bread. Oh, we, we packed this bread. It was fresh. Here, come and have some. They eat it. Oh, it's old. And there's a really condemning thing. So starting at verse 3, it says this, However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him the Israel, and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Jumping down to verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, and here's the condemnation, but did not inquire of the Lord. They did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Only to find out later that they had been deceived, but it was too late, the promise was given. This is why we need to beware of self-reliance, of thinking that we know better. Now, granted, we have common sense. You know, please don't forgive me, but we need to inquire of God, you see, the arrogance of, our, of their sinful pride. I, I put this as sinful pride. Um, like I said, they experience victory after a victory and occasional failure up to this point. But when you get on a roll, it's commonly known that failure can occur because you think you know better. You think it should be done this way. I'm sorry to say you, 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 but I do the same. 
And this is where the self-reliance attitude comes in and can be detrimental because I know that I've gotten myself into trouble. But these are, these are four things, okay? Four things as we look at the beginning of the year. Four things that Joshua is doing in preparation for the claiming of the promised land. Now, I shared before that there's a change. There's a change of their status, a change that went from wanderers and survivors to fighters and proclaimers or claimers of, of inheritance. Now, I need you to be aware of something, and this is something that we all fall into the trap to, and this is something that I myself have personally experienced. What we can do is forget that things change. We forget that things change. I want to do an exercise. Um, can I get everybody standing up, please? Actually, no, no, stop, 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 stop. I'll do it down the other way. I'll do it down the other way. Um, can I get those, you, know, you just have to stand up for a little bit and then you can stand back down. Um, can I get those who have been a part of Grace Christian Church uh, 10 years or longer? Could you please stand? 10 years or longer. Wow, that is, that's really cool. That's really cool. Okay, grab a seat. Have a look around, have a look around and grab, grab a seat. Okay, can I, can I get those who stand up who were part of Youth in the House, please? Stand up. Oh, wow. Wow. You guys are so old now. Okay. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Okay. Those of you, those of you who are, you were single at Grace Christian Church and are now in a relationship, stand up. Oh. 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 Okay, hand. Sit down, sit down. Stand up, those of you who've been married in Grace Christian Church. Married, yeah, meaning, oh, wow. That's cool. That's cool. Last one, last one. How many, okay, how many of you, can stand up those who are grandparents now. New grandparents? Don't be shy. Stand up. Auntie Kathy. Oh, come on, Uncle Sinling. Yeah. Uncle Mike. Yay. Grand. Okay, how, how many of you guys are now, like, how many of you guys are now parents, actually? Just parents in general. Stand up, those who are parents. Yeah, like, in, how many kids you got? Two, right? Danny? Two. One. Two. Two. Two, two, wow, one, four, five, six. <laughs> the, reason why, the reason why I wanted you to do this is that the dynamics of Grace Christian Church have changed. The, grace, the, 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 the dynamic has changed. What I mean by that is that you've had a whole bunch, of, and I've seen a whole bunch of you young people, young people, now I've, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing you. Like um, Andrew there was year 12 when I first met Andrew. Yeah, Andrew was year 12 when I first met him. Now he's working hard at the New South Wales Treasury, and I think that's absolutely amazing. Kai she was a student when I first met her. How, what year were you? Year 10. So I've known her since year 10. And now, now, now she's uh, starting to be a veterinarian and, and, and putting her hand in places I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, I've seen that. Young Jono. Stand up, young Jono. I've known young Jono since he was year 7. Now, don't sit down yet, man. I, I've known young Jono since he was year seven, and, and now he's working in the mines? Wow, he's working hard in the mines, digging up, I don't know, gas for me, I don't know. Okay, but he works hard in the mines. But what I mean by this is, now, is this. I don't treat Jono like he was still year seven, nor do I interact with him like he was year seven, because year seven, he was irritating. But I don't do that, do I? 
because he's a young man now, a fine young man at that. You are a fine young man, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that God answered our prayers. So, but you know what I mean? The dynamic has changed. The dynamic has changed. What I mean by that is that we, I can't expect Jono to be doing what he was doing 10, 12 years ago because now he's a, a fine young man that works hard and helps support his family and me. So he doesn't support me at all because he invited other people to dinner, but not me. So I'm not sorry about that at all. But you know, you know what I mean? And this, this is what I need us to be aware of. The way, the, way Joshua, the way Joshua attacked the promised land meant this. He no longer saw, as a leader, his people as just wanderers and survivors. He now saw them as soldiers for the kingdom of God to claim what was rightfully theirs. And we need to get to that, that same mindset as well. I, I can't sit down and expect people to do what they were doing maybe 12 years ago because their dynamic has changed. But the specifics are still the same. Because here's the thing. Knowing God's call is this. For us as the people of God, for us as Grace Christian Church, what is our purpose? Our purpose is the proclaiming of the gospel. Our purpose is to love one another. Our purpose, if your parents, to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our purpose is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our purpose is to forgive one another, is to be kind one to another. Our purpose is still the same. Our purpose is to press toward the mark. Remember last week? Last week was not about looking back. Our purpose is to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and to fulfill the purpose that Jesus had established on this planet. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man had come to serve, had come to seek and to save the lost. See, everything Jesus did, the specifics, of what he was to do was under the umbrella of seeking and saving the lost. The specifics of Joshua and the claiming of the promised land, while the specifics differed because the dynamic was different, the goal was still the same, to take possession of what God had given them. Our context may change, we may be a church of parents now. I mean, we saw last week, all those kids up the front, the dynamic has changed where we've got a whole stack of little children running around. I loved seeing, who was that running around the front here this morning? Was that Ethan or Jake? Uh, Zach. Zach running around. I loved it. Just I'm sitting there, I'm singing, and I hear these little feet running. And I look around, and it's Zach. And he's like, oh, I'm like, and he looked at me and just ran away. But I, I, love, I love the fact, see, we now have children running around. The dynamic has changed. But even though the dynamic has changed, what is it? The call is still the same. So it means for Zaki's parents to raise him, pointing him to Jesus. For Joshua, everything was done was in that one call of claiming the land. So that's why I'm, look, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged as you look at this new year and say, I'm not doing nothing. Look, in the context you are, you can be working toward the kingdom of God. You have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. You have the opportunity to live a life that is holy. You have an opportunity to, to impact another brother or sister in, in Christ. This is, this is your call, and this is what we have. Oh, wait, it's quarter, wow, it's quarter past 12. So this, so to know God's call, Oh, sorry. I, oh, they fixed the clock. All right. 
So, so, this is, this is what it is. So even though the dynamic has changed, we can still fulfill the greater call of God's purpose. Does that make sense? And this, this is what I want us to take. This is what I want us to take away. So what we're going to do is that I'm, I want to invite the, the, the music team up, but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, um, I would like for you to think about the context that you are in, irrespective of where you are, age, position, job, whatever it is. And whatever that is, how do you fulfill God's call that's placed in your life? Um, as I close as well, uh, one more thing, final announcement. Uh, if you are a leader, if you are a leader, uh, cell group leader, ministry leader, elder, pastor, whatever, I would like for you to remain here, please. Um, I just want to share something with you guys um, as well. So just be, be upstanding, and I'll close in prayer. I'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much, so much for this new year. Father, as we may feel down in the dumps, as we may feel trapped, if we may feel like we're like the children of Israel wandering around and just surviving, we ask, Lord, that you will stir our hearts up with knowing what our purpose is and that purpose has been granted to us by you. I pray, Father, that we will be understanding that you are always at work and trust that you are working. I pray, Father, that you will help us to be a follower of your ways, even though we may not completely understand. Father, I pray that, that we will not be reliant on ourselves. Father, there is so much, Lord, that you desire to work within us, and I'm excited that we are allowed to be a part of what you are doing. Help us to see that honor, and help us to see that privilege, and help us to appreciate it. So we ask for you to dismiss us now, and to lead us from here as we go into 2019 for the glory of your name and for the extending of your kingdom. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Unto you be glory in the church both now and forever, right until the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you very much.